interception. Charlie. Thanks so much for listening. It was as if he kicked about three pounds of haggis that time because it hardly got off the ground. Welcome back to the final episode in the first season of the Pop Pass podcast, where Charlie and I talk all things rugby from the international stage all the way down to grassroots. And of course, we'll always try to throw in a few stats that you can impress your friends with along the way. Much like England women breaking the world record for the most consecutive test match wins. Their streak now stands at 19. But before we get into it, just a reminder that we're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So if you've enjoyed listening to all our Six Nations and rugby analysis, it would be great if you could tap follow and give us a five-star rating. It really helps us out a lot. But of course, if you want the full pop passport experience, feel free to head over and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and even Facebook too. Thanks so much for joining us once again, Charlie. To wrap up the season, what have we got coming up in today's episode? Well, the men's Six Nations might be over for another year, but there's still plenty of rugby news and action for us to cover. The women's TikTok Six Nations came back with a bang, with England thrashing Scotland and Wales springing a surprise in a comeback win over Ireland. The RFU announced that the next England head coach will be English, but who are the main candidates to take over from Eddie Jones? And the USA are set to be announced as hosts for the Rugby World Cup in 2031. What chance do the Eagles have on making their mark in the sport? But first, the women's TikTok Six Nations was back this weekend in front of huge crowds. Yeah, great fan- results. fantastic atmospheres in all the games, but particularly the opening game, England-Scotland, really enjoyed that atmosphere in the shadow of Murrayfield. Exactly. And then, yeah, the final game of the weekend, France-Italy, what an atmosphere there, sellout crowd. Incredible. And also, yeah, I have to say before we get into it, uh, Alyssa de Inca. That's probably so wrong, but she's number 12 inside centre for Italy. So, so, so impressive. She she really stood out in that game. But yeah, record crowds for the French game. The Wales game as well against Ireland. Wales. Yeah, real shock there. Huge shock. Um, I did my fancy team just before um, the TikTok Six Nations kicked off. And I really wanted to put Jasmine Joyce in because she's really impressed me in the seven circuit. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, oh, but Wales just aren't going to win this game. Lo and behold, shock. <laughs> shock, a comeback win. And bear in mind that just a year ago, they lost 45-0 to Ireland. Crazy. A year later, they go and win with a bonus point nonetheless. I mean, well. it's fantastic for that Welsh squad because they've um, announced that some of those players will be on full-time contracts now. Yeah. Um, I mean, to just give a little caveat to that, there has been some debate over the amount of those um, contracts. I think it's £19,000 a year and compare that to an England um, yeah. contract, that's 30000 plus. I think for some of some other players, it's, it's similar numbers. But for more positive news, you know, it was great for Wales just to see that victory out. And if you look back on it, you really don't see how Wales could get into that game at all. I mean, yeah. Ireland looked like they were sort of steamy ahead. So full credit to Wales. Huge shot for them and great for the tournament as well, because obviously usually the last few years, the, the Women's Six Nations has been billed as basically England against <laughs> France and then everyone else. But of course, with 
the Welsh team turning professional with some of those professional contracts handed out. The quality is only going to get better and hopefully we'll see a more competitive championship. We've already seen it this weekend, but as we go into the later rounds. Going back to England against Scotland though, Scotland I thought first 10... 20 minutes, put in a real a real fight. Yeah, yeah. I wrote down um, halfway through that, that in the first quarter, I think the scoreline actually flattered England and Scotland were putting on real pressure. Yeah. And it was actually disappointing for them to not really get more outcomes. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, unfortunately, it turned into a bit of a rout in the end. But mm-hmm. I think that just shows the quality of this England side. I mean, you don't break the most consecutive test match wins record for nothing this team are very very good there's a reason why they're favorites for the world cup later this year yeah you don't win 19 games in a row for being bad and they decimated the black ferns <laughs> last year so scotland you know they put in a very good fight but equally it was always going to be tough as the game went on indeed and i mean packer was on a different level that game with a hat trick was she in your fancy team she wasn't in my fancy oh. team and but i think the problem with with the england team was they have so many fancy backs i wanted to put so many of those star names in you know scarrett yeah. was first name on the team sheet obviously of course, of course. and i had clear in but then yeah i didn't i didn't boost myself up to pack and now i'm regretting that yeah so, no yeah. she played incredibly well former uh, bath player by the way really yeah yeah yeovil's finest so <laughs> big up the west country for for marley packer but yeah no it was a it was a really great result for england i think simon middleton actually was quite disappointed in terms of how they played obviously you can't really can't really turn your nose up at a 50 point win yeah if you watch the red roses um mini documentary on youtube you'll mm. see his sort of post-match chat with the team and he just says you know we can never expect to start the tournament firing on all cylinders mm-hmm. so you know th- there's something to build from but you're right yeah i think he was a little bit disappointed with it yeah and equally if they need to build for anything it is for that last weekend because they are playing france which yes is sold out in france fantastic Great news, news. Um, so that will be there's a cider. No, I you know there could be more surprises. Yeah, but you want to keep the jeopardy in. But at the same time, those two teams, if you look at the world rankings, are miles ahead of yeah. anyone else. So it it is going to probably I don't want to curse it right now. Yeah. Um, but it's probably going to be a battle between those final two on the on the final weekend. No, definitely. But a really good all round weekend for the women's TikTok Six Nations. I'm so glad it's back. I'm so glad it's on it's on TV and it's yes. been promoted everywhere because it needs to be and it's it's a incredible standard of rugby and people need to watch it yeah we watched the no women no try documentary recently and i think there was a lot of takeaways to to take from that um if you haven't watched it thoroughly recommend it it's essentially a documentary all about the barriers facing women's rugby and the pioneers in the game who are Mm. trying to change that with shauna brown being the focal sort of interviewee in that what a star she was what a star i mean yeah one of the takeaways from that was that For, I mean, if we go on the gender issue, male allies need to be posting more about women's rugby. And so I feel like, you know, that was a good message for us to hear because it feels like I know that that is something that is actively going to be supportive. So I need to just do it. (laughs) It's always good hearing. I think it was really good that they had Ugamonye in the documentary just to give us an idea from our perspective what we can do more of. And... Of course, we're not professional rugby players, and I think professional rugby players are the people who have to lead it from the front, the male professional rugby players. I remember speaking to professional Saracens player, mm. a female player, and she said that the men have to do more, and they have to just acknowledge it, retweet it, talk about it, yeah. get, get, get people engaging with the women's game, because they have that platform, and... They can, they're slowly building their platform in the women's game, but these men have already got that. It's also the battle that Shauna Brown mentioned on the sort of algorithm 
um, fights. So if you if we aren't interacting with women's rugby content, then the algorithms won't switch to get it more into other people's sort of frame of vision. Yeah. So you know it is this thing that the more that people do with interacting with the Six Nations, the better it's going to be for the women's game. I mean, there's there's so much more to it than that, but yeah. that's that was just one sort of takeaway I I felt from that documentary no. that really spoke to me. Exactly, and there was really interesting things elsewhere, like the whole segment about uh, shorts. I know that was that kit. was that that seemed ridiculous, and I can't believe it is existing in the modern game. Yeah, and just another thing to add to that, I saw recently when I was just sort of doing a bit of background before um, this episode on on Ireland, and I saw some drama that happened recently where the Irish women's team were basically made to change by the bins when there was um, the pandemic because. Irish women's rugby wasn't classed as, a, as an elite sport. So they weren't able to go into the, the clubhouse to change. Crazy. And it's just like a real sort of just bringing that all to focus that the gender disparity between women's rugby and men's rugby is just just constant. And it's as simple as shorts, but it can excel to, to as we were talking about earlier, just coverage. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. And there's just small things that I think once you notice them, they appear much more frequently as well. There was the the advertising campaign for the Ireland men's kit, well, Ireland men and women's kit, yeah. sorry, that they used the male players in the team to advertise the kit for, for them. But for the women's kit, they advertised it using models rather than the Irish team. Yeah, I remember that news, but it's it comes across even more when you hear someone speaking about it from yeah. a professional rugby perspective. It's just like, oh my God, that and is And how just... damaging that feels and how, yeah. how, how that feels as a professional woman's player that you're not valued enough to even advertise the kit that you're wearing to represent your country. I mean, I can't believe it's happening in, in this century, let alone, yeah. you know, this decade. A lot so... of those things, I just I don't understand how they get through these marketing teams or whatever like they go through so many people and get okay but that that just illustrates yeah. and encapsulates the problem but i think it was the documentary although it was highlighting those issues it was full of hope as well for the future shauna brown talks about investing in the game and maybe not seeing that return on investment in two three four years but in 20 years when you've got more and more girls looking at rugby and seeing it as a sport that they can access and they can play, it's not just a sport for for boys and for men, then we'll see that investment pay out in dividends. So it's a really exciting time to be involved in women's rugby. So I'd highly encourage you to watch No Woman No Try. That's available on Amazon Prime Video. And of course, watch all the TikTok Women's Six Nations. We've got another game week coming up this weekend. Okay, so after the disappointment of England's Six Nations campaign, obviously, inevitably, there's been a lot of talk about Eddie Jones. Sacked in the morning! (laughs) (laughs) Whether he is fit for for the job, whether he can take this England team to the 2023 World Cup and go on and win it. Now, obviously, a lot of people think that he can't after what happened in the Six Nations. What do you think? Well, look, rugby changes very, very quickly. South Africa were lost to Italy about 19, 18 months before they won the World Cup. So, True. So when Rassi Erasmus took over, he completely changed what was what their culture and how they played and they ended up winning. Obviously, England aren't going to be sacking Eddie Jones. They've come out and said that, the RFU. They're not going to sack him. But that doesn't mean that a lot can't change in the next 18 months before we all head to France to play in the World Cup. So now we all know he's not going to be sacked now. Mm -hmm. We do know that the RFU are putting in a succession plan and want to have a coach appointed before the 2023 World Cup so they can take over from Eddie once the tournament ends. Bit of a strange one for Eddie that, surely. 
that he knows that whoever's going to be replacing him is going to be like set in stone. I th- I think that succession plan is is stupid. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, I I think I, I think it is as well, but at the same time, I can understand it. Well, here's here's why. I think when you've got a new coach put in place who, who's good enough to coach England, right? Yeah. So they're going to be a top quality coach wherever they come from, yeah. whether it's the international game or if it's the domestic game, they're going to be a great coach. They come in before the World Cup. You've got Eddie and you've got this new coach who all the players know is going to be coaching them come December. So who do you listen to as a player? You know, there's going to be conflicting ideas probably. There's, a guy who's going to come in is going to have a game plan of how he wants England to play. Eddie is going to have something set in stone already that he's been working on. Of course, he is at the top of the hierarchy. He is the one you should listen to. But I think it creates a little bit of a disconnect and a little bit of confusion in the direction you want to go. And I think once Eddie Jones's era is done, we draw a line in the sand and we move to a different kind of England and we rebuild in a different way. You know, it doesn't have to be drastic, but I just don't know if the right way to go about it is to have someone in already. I understand having someone appointed who can then come in after Eddie Jones, but someone working with Eddie Jones, I think might be a little bit abrasive yeah it, it does feel a little bit uncomfortable but then why have they done it there's got to be some sense to it well i think because they think it makes it a smoother transition players get to know the coach without him leading the team the the coach gets used to the setup and and everything before he has to take full responsibility so in theory it makes sense but i just think that when you're trying to appoint the most important position in english rugby I just don't think you can have two people working kind of in that same position at the same time. Yeah, treading on each other's toes and and things. Just have Eddie Jones go up to the end of the World Cup and then move on. Okay, well, I mean, I agree with you. But just to to flip it on the other side, is it not good, though, for the next coach to come into it and really hit the ground running? Isn't that what we want from an England side? Yeah. Let's say we win the World Cup, (laughs) which we're probably not going to do. But let's say we do. Yeah. And then everyone's like, oh, Eddie, stay on, stay on. And we're like, no, we already know who's going to be coming in. It's going to be Freddie Oliphant. He's yeah. going to be the next England coach. Nice. Applications are open. Yeah. yeah. So we already know Freddie's going to be the next coach. Mm-hmm. You know, that question's out there. The media doesn't need to speculate about yeah. it. And then from there, everyone's like, yeah, and Freddie's been in the England setup. He can really keep building on what they built in the World Cup. Doesn't that sound quite good? It do, you know what? You, you've put a good case across. Is it because I use you as the England coach? Well, yeah, because I, to be honest, would, would say nothing to Eddie Jones. And I just be like, yes, Eddie, of course. Eddie, as as long as you um, hire me as nutritionist. Um, <laughs> yeah. If I could work with just cooking food all day, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, that would be great, Charlie. But I'm sure you have higher ambitions. Anyway. That. <laughs> Beyond that, yeah, I, I just have a feeling that you're going to have, whoever comes in, you're going to have someone who's, very highly qualified and has ideas of their own of where they want to take England. And I don't know what kind of environment that creates. And yes, if we go and win the World Cup, great. But I'm just not sure unless, and we'll move into the candidates in a second or the, the you know, the highly publicised candidates, unless it goes to Richard Cockrell, who is already in the setup right. and who is going to be there by the time of the World Cup for a year and a half. Conspiracy, that's because he's lined up and that's why they're saying that it's going to be appointed before the World Cup. Well, it, it could be because it, it makes sense. Richard Cockrell has a lot of coaching experience. He would have worked for almost two years under Eddie Jones by the time the World Cup ends. That would be a seamless transition. This I feels th- like some sort of um, Game of Thrones conspiracy that we're, yeah. bi- we're building up here. <laughs> I mean, it could be. I mean, if we, if we look at R- Richard Cockrell, there's a very 
he's got a very strong chance of being in the mix at least although i'd be very surprised if they have appointed him or earmarked him as the next England coach so far out yeah just to give a little bit of context for richard cockrell if you're not familiar with him he spent most of his playing days at leicester tigers and then coached them as the forward coach and director of rugby um he was director of rugby for a long time at leicester 2009 to 2017 and then he was briefly um head coach at edinburgh and is now england's forwards coach yeah He's qualified for it. I just think that, in my opinion, I probably wouldn't go with him. Who would you want instead? Well, there is a dream replacement, and then there are more realistic replacements. Okay, stick stick with the more realistic replacements for now. Okay, uh, replacements screaming out all of us, Rob Baxter. Yeah, obviously Exeter coach right now. Currently Exeter coach. Took he... them to the Champions Cup and the Premiership title. Yeah. Exactly. Unprecedented, really. To, you know, he took a team in the championship, promoted them to the premiership. They won the, win the premiership. They win the European Cup. The fairy tale story. It really, you know, Exeter, the way their rise took place, it was an unbelievable story. And from a Bath perspective, I was looking at them so jealous. It was unbelievable because, you know, their academy was doing really well. They're clearly picking players from extra university and getting them yeah. involved in that setup as well. It just seemed like everything that Bath should be doing, Exeter were doing. But, you know turn things a, a few months ahead and Exeter aren't doing quite so well. They're losing their sense of identity. Yep. Players are going left, right and centre. I mean, O'Flaherty went to sale literally this week. Um, and they also, the club reported a loss, a loss of 6.3 million. Um, and I mean, most premiership clubs aren't able to be profitable, unfortunately. But anyway, aside from Exeter in general, yeah. you know, what I'm saying is Rob Baxter obviously did really well for a time, but has that peak now turned into a little bit of a decline? Exactly. But rugby, as we've said, changes very, very quickly. For example, Stuart Lancaster was England coach and I'd say his tenure didn't go brilliantly. It was, mm, it was, you could say that. <laughs> uh, but now he's coach of, Le- of Leinster and doing very, very well. Yeah. So... Things can turn around quite quickly depending on context, situation and and different teams, different styles, different players. I think Rob Baxter is a good choice. I think he's a safe choice. Mm-hmm. But one caveat you might have is that he has been in an environment at Exeter where he is the guy, like he's been given a lot of responsibility. He doesn't really have to work within the politics of the club. I think it's run in a way that he can make a lot of the big decisions. Okay. The RFU is a completely different beast. Mm. There are so many people involved. And I know people say that Eddie Jones is basically, he rules the the roost and he is he is the guy and no one can say anything to him. Which he might well do. It but... might be the case, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that the RFU will always do that. Yeah. Stuart Lancaster was very much a coach that was, that was under... It's under a lot of people in that organisation. And I think if Rob Baxter comes in, he'll be more of that ilk than of an Eddie Jones who will come in and be like, I'm the guy. Right. And that might foster better results, but it might equally not give him the amount of authority that he has at Exeter and not allow him to make the changes that he may want to make. But he's just one option. Mm-hmm. And just to make a point about England coaches and, and who the RFU usually go for, not since Brian Ashton left Bath to run the England national team in December 2006 has the top job gone to a candidate from the domestic game. So they don't usually pick coach from Premiership Rugby or, I mean, directly from Premiership Rugby. I mean, rugby. it's kind of a trend that follows in football as well. When was the last England manager from, a, like, directly rising from a team from, like, the Prem straight into well, England Well, Sam but that didn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's it's not it's not always that sort of trajectory. Yeah. But, yeah. I think it, it basically suggests that the RFU 
well, I mean, Eddie Jones's appointment was completely left field. It was something that they hadn't really done in a long time because they'd had Ashton, Rob Andrew, then Martin Johnson, who had no coaching experience, followed by Stuart Lancaster, and then Eddie Jones. So the first foreign coach for, for England, which is something they, they didn't usually do. Um, so they might want to go back to their original model. I think the next best prospect in the Premiership, or not the next best, or someone on a similar level, Steve Borthwick. Yeah, I would say he'd be my preferred pick. I mean, obviously, I don't want to look through too much with Bath-tinted spectacles, but Steve Borthwick was a hero for our club. And if he was running Bath right now, oh my God, we'd be so much better. So um, I'm very jealous of what he's doing at Leicester right now. They are fantastic. He's taken Leicester from a side that luckily avoided relegation pretty much because of COVID to a side that's top of the premiership they've won 17 of 20 matches this season already qualified for the playoffs so he's done an incredible job there and again i don't don't disagree he could be a a very good choice for england and i also really like his demeanor he's also been a part of the england setup as well before they worked together for five years eddie jones and steve borthwick that's a proper relationship there so as we're talking in terms of having that succession plan yeah that's it, isn't it, really? So, yeah, I, I personally, I, th- I think Steve Borthwick would be one of my preferred choices. Yeah, fair enough. I think those two are the guys from the Premiership that have, well, English coaches from the Premiership that have the greatest chance of, of at least getting an interview with the RFU. <laughs> um, going beyond that, a few more left-field choices. Andy Farrell. Andy Farrell. Smash him. I mean, we're so jealous of what he's doing at Ireland. So, yeah. you know. He's he... also worked under, no, he hasn't. He hasn't worked under Eddie Jones. He worked under Stuart Lancaster, but he's yes. worked in the setup, yes. the English setup. So he knows how it how it works how it's would run. he want to coach with his son potentially being in his final few years of a, as an england player i don't think andy farrell has that emotional attachment Ooh. i think all oh, that cuts deep and i'm not even owen farrell <laughs> I, I think he's very much I, I just think that he, him and owen farrell are professional in the sense that if owen farrell's not good enough to get picked he's not going to get picked I don't think Andy Farrell would, would worry about that. And I don't think I own but, Farrell either. Okay, but do England rugby want those sort of headlines? I mean, I know we're talking about a completely hypothetical situation yeah. here, but would England rugby want any speculation to be happening where father is not picking son or father is picking son and everyone's like, oh my God, why is he still in the team? Yeah. I, I don't think they do. I think they would steer clear of that. Yeah, I think, although I think it's a small issue when you look at the Andy Farrell package as a whole. You Very know, good point. He, he's worked in the British and Irish Lions setup. He uh, He's worked in the England setup. And he's doing an incredible job at Ireland. And if they can keep up the good work that they've been doing, potentially take them beyond that, that quarterfinal curse that they always seem to succumb to. <laughs> so if you can do all of that, I'd be surprised if, unless it's really difficult to get him, release him from the Irish, uh, the Irish team, I'd be surprised if he doesn't at least get a mention in the among the, amongst the candidates. Going a little bit further afield in Europe, the dream. This would be the dream. Sean Edwards. Sean Edwards. Oh my God! I mean, we all just we we said it about sort of Annie Farrell and Steve Borthwick being sort of ideal types. Yeah. This is this is Endgame. This is this is the the man we want. <laughs> I mean, it's about time this guy got a head coach role. Really, uh, he's done an incredible job with Wales under with under Warren Gatlin. He's gone with the British and Irish Lions as well. And now we can all see the job he's done with the French. I just cannot believe, I cannot believe that the Welsh let him go in the first place. And I cannot believe that when he was let go by Wales, 
that England didn't try and snap him up as quick as possible. Yeah, but I mean, Eddie Jones was was kicking about. That's that's it, isn't it? They, t- I don't think they had that opportunity. It's, yeah, it's to, nice saying to bring that. him in as defense coach, though. Okay, true. Like that's, that, he's always true. done that. He's defense coach yeah. for Wales, defense coach for France. It wasn't like he had to come in as as head coach, and he's used to working under someone, so he mm. fits the bill quite well. I think his next job will be potentially after the, the France World Cup. I think there'll be nations looking at bringing him in, yeah. whether it's Wales <laughs> under, uh, after they probably get rid of Wayne Pivak <laughs> or it's England or it's, or it's somewhere else. I think he's going to have a lot of potential suitors. And uh, I, I listened to an episode of the Rugby Pod uh, recently where they interviewed him and they asked him directly whether he'd take it. And all he said was, I'd like a form of long-term employment. So basically it, avoiding the, avoiding the, ex- the question, but essentially if he can have long-term employment, uh, and they asked nicely. He said, "He said he would consider it." So, what if he had long-term employment in a chip shop? He'd be happy. Maybe we have to ask him when we get him on the pod in the in the next <laughs> ten years. Ten years. So, um, but yeah, I think he's the, he's the dream option. But depending on where on the state of play after the World Cup, because a lot of teams will be looking to to change regimes after the World Cup. It's usually quite a nice yeah. point at the start, well, the end of a cycle and the start of a new one to to make changes, and that's. That's the idea that the English Rugby Union are looking at are looking at doing. So, a number of candidates: Edwards, Farrell, Borthwick, Baxter. I don't want Baxter. I think out of all of them, is it because he's quite an uninspiring choice? Do you feel? Yes, I feel, I felt like I I could see why the extra style of play worked. Obviously, yeah. But I I don't know if I want England playing that way. And you know, this is this is a coach. He can do anything he wants to with that yeah. team. But still, if that team turns into just basically a mauling from the line out sort of team yeah. that's not international the sort of international rugby i want to be seeing um and also you're right like his demeanor is just quite boring <laughs> <laughs> we won't get those fancy press conferences from eddie jones but sometimes that is quite jarring yeah sometimes well. they're over the top so <laughs> um, but anyway it, we will know come around this time next year who will be in that spot unless the rfu decide to change the success, their succession plan it's Stuart hooper <laughs> Please, no. Anyone but Stuart. Sorry, Stuart. And finally for today, there's been news that the United States of America are set to be given the rights to host the 2031 Men's Rugby World Cup and the 2033 Women's Rugby World Cup. Exciting news. Exciting news. I mean, look, we've got in 2027, Australia is apparently the preferred candidate. Okay. They've hosted it before, most recently in 2003. Yes. But the USA, a bit like the Japan World Cup, is a chance to really boost and uh, and engage with an audience, a rugby audience that is further afield than just sort of and, Europe and Oceania. And where better to do that than America? You know, breaking America is is something that's always talked about. Exactly, for pop stars, for movie stars. <laughs> and now for, for rugby stars. <laughs> exactly, it's, a, it's about time that rugby broke uh, the American market and got people interested in it. I mean, America is dominated by so many sports, most sports that are just played in america i might add yes where um, they claim to be the world champions but we'll we'll move past yeah, that we'll move past it but it's, it's a really exciting opportunity for rugby to go there if it's indeed confirmed and it's really growing there i did a piece recently for um university about inclusive rugby and i talked to someone who's in toronto and they'd also worked in america and it's just been really interesting to hear people's love of 
the sport in the Americas. So, you know, this would be a fantastic opportunity to bring it to a higher profile there. And I think it would translate really well that a world championships would be taking place in America because they seem to really want to sort of brand that for all their sporting occasions. So I think a world championships would be really good to increase participation there yeah exactly and we also watched a documentary recently or a youtube documentary about a place called rugby town in the state i don't think it's actually called rugby town but the facility <laughs> the facility is called rugby town and basically they're taking usually uh, ex-american footballers and converting them into rugby players and they're really trying to raise the profile of rugby in america and in the hope that they can be world champions and it's worth um, stating if you haven't seen this that the facilities they use are ridiculously good they're amazing there's like this screen that goes pretty much the whole way around the stadium that is was constantly lit up in some graphics the whole it looks time like a video game this, it was this stadium. it was ridiculous um so yeah it's it would be interesting to see sort of the progression of the u.s national team yeah. um towards that world cup if they were to get it which we hope they do mm-hmm. um the sevens team for example have done amazingly in recent years with stars of perry baker and carl niles and that you know they've beaten england they've trounced yeah. england a few times let alone new zealand so well, i think i think the the barrier for them the biggest barrier for them will be moving away from sevens which is requires more sort of athletes in terms of speed yeah yeah you can translate those american football there's, stats yeah. into into a there's, a there's more space as well i think going into a 15s game i think there's still a long way for them to go i mean we we're talking about uh players american football players being converted into rugby players and i think it's really really difficult for them to get to the same level that players in england new zealand south africa have got to just because they're not brought up with the sport if you if you brought up by playing american football throughout your whole life and then when you get to 18 you don't make you don't make a college team or you don't make it pro you decide to turn turn to rugby all your rugby instincts aren't there i agree with you to a large extent with this yeah. but i do think there is something exciting about potentially let's say let's flip it and say a basketball player yeah you know, a basketball player who's really tall suddenly turns to rugby at 18, builds the physicality and has the hands of a basketball player, but a lock. Doesn't that sound quite exciting? Like if you told me that an England player had played basketball until he was 18 and suddenly is now yeah. making waves for, I don't know, Saris, um, that would be amazing. So I do, I do get what you're saying, but I think there is a little bit of excitement to translate those American style sports into skills that could really work on a rugby pitch. Exactly. And if they can mold their game in a way that plays to those strengths, then they can do something. I think you're right. It's, it's an exciting time to look at hybrid players again and see people from other sports coming into the game. I just think they want to be one of the best teams in the world and it's going to take time and maybe it's going to be a little bit early for them come 2031 Nonetheless, it's a good opportunity, as we said, for rugby to really boost its its global engagement and showcase its biggest event on, on the biggest stage. So that's all for today and that's all for the first season of the pop pass pod thank you to everyone who's listened to us throughout the last few months we've really really appreciated it before we leave you charlie's going to give a rundown of all the rugby action you can catch over the weekend so let's kick off with the tiktok women's six nations so france ireland 215 ireland have already named an unchanged squad to go into that game then it's wales scotland also on saturday 4 45 and then on sunday italy versus england at three o'clock 
And then in the Gallagher Premiership, you've got Sale versus Saris on Friday night under the Friday night lights. That's going to be on <laughs> BT Sport. And then the pick of BT Sports games on Saturday is Northampton versus Bristol. And for all us Bath fans, Exeter versus Bath on Saturday as well. Huge. Thanks once again for listening. And if you enjoyed it, make sure to go follow the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Pop Pass Pod. If you're feeling extra nice, please give us a five-star rating too on wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really helps us out a lot. In the meantime, Charlie and I have our Easter break. We've got lots of assignments to work on. I'm off on a three-week loan deal to the rugby pod. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe can garner a few secrets from there. But we'll see you all again for season two in May. Bye for now. This is the Pop Pass Podcast with me, Freddie. And me, Charlie. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>